Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exzoneradiotv.com or www.exzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall.
And welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I am Kevin Randall, and I'm thinking we might have to uh, change the introduction because, and I hate to say this, I've been doing this more than 50 years now. If you go back to uh, my youth, and we certainly could if we wanted to, I thought I should tell you all that Plan E is now in effect. That is because Plan A, Plan B, Plan C, Plan D, Plan F all failed, and I'm on Plan E, which means I'm going to be talking for the entire hour here. I thought what I'd do is break it down into four different segments, segment one being why I'm beginning to dislike the UFO field. I'm going to talk a little bit about Project Mogul. I'm going to talk about the Blue Book analysis, and I'll wrap up with the best of Project Blue Book. So we have the negative at the beginning and the positive at the ending, which is probably a good way to do this. So the reason I have begun to dislike the UFO field is because to get ahead in the UFO field, you must embrace everything. Cattle mutilations, crop circles, alien abduction, crash retrievals, MJ-12, and every other subset you can think of. There's no room for criticism. If you criticize any of these things, you're immediately labeled a debunker or an agent of the government. I don't know how many times I've been labeled an agent of the government. I was even once accused of working with Hector Quintanilla at Project Blue Book. Never mind that Blue Book closed while I was still on active duty with the Army, and I had nothing to do with Project Blue Book whatsoever, being in the Army. But uh, that's the way it goes. I've been accused of being a CIA agent. And I confess, I did work with the CIA when I was in Iraq. But that was only because their compound was located with ours and there was intelligence suggesting some kind of an attack on our area. And I had 600 soldiers at my disposal and the CIA had like five guys. So I was tasked with just making sure that the perimeter was adequate adequately defended and we had no problems whatsoever. But I mean, so I can say legitimately I worked with the CIA, but it's not a really big deal. But what really gets my goat are things like cattle mutilations. I think it was like 20 years ago, a guy named Tom McAdden said there have been 10,000 cattle mutilations. And it's a figure that um, when we pinned him down on that, it was a figure that he had extrapolated from other reports and over the several years and he just figured 10,000. And the really funny thing is if today you check out the stuff, they'll say 10,000 cattle have been mutilated. Um, many of them at Burger King, I suppose. But the point is it just never changes. And I looked into a lot of these cattle mutilations. In fact, back in um, the mid 1970s, oh my Lord, 1970s, Jim Lorenzen of APRO called me and said there was some stuff about cattle mutilations going up on, going on in Minnesota, wanted to know if I'd look into it. I said, sure. So with a friend, Bob Cornett, who I've mentioned before, he and I went up to Minneapolis to take a look at the cattle mutilation situation. And while we were there, we were able to solve every one of them. It had nothing to do with aliens or anything else. It had to do with um, misinterpretations of, I guess, natural phenomena, misinterpretations of the environment. One person was talking about seeing all these circles melted in the snow and thought these were landing sites for UFOs. And we went out and talked to the farmer. No, he had had the silage bins erected in those areas and they had moved them. And what, they what was happening is that the um, debris left behind when they moved the silage was decaying and giving off heat. So it was melting the snow in the perfect circles. Another one was a 
uh, holes in the ice of a lake, and they thought that was from the UFO landing gear touching down. Farmer had chopped the uh, holes in the ice to get the water for his cattle. So the whole thing blew up is the point here, that we didn't find any cows being mutilated by UFOs. And when you think about it, it makes no real sense. What what would be the purpose? Are they gathering genetic material for some reason? And wouldn't they just have to like gather one to get all the genetic material they needed? Um, you know, they, they, so it just didn't make good sense to us. And when we looked into it in depth, we found answers for that. One of the people questioned me and said, how do you explain the lack of copper in some of the mutilated, in the blood of some of the mutilated animals? And I'm thinking, that's a good question. But the internet came through and rescued me from that. I looked up uh, copper deficiencies in cattle on the internet and came up with all kinds of articles about it and, and learned that that's not uncommon, that a cow has just given birth, for example, has a copper deficiency. It depends on the range where they are, and sometimes copper supplements have to be put in their diet. So a copper deficiency in the blood is no big deal. Uh, it may sound interesting, but it, it's really not all, all that great. Alien abduction. Same sort of thing. When we looked into it, and when I say we, Russ Estes, Bill Cohn, and I looked into it in depth, we found terrestrial explanations for all of it. And I now hesitate to say it. One of the things that we noticed in our sample of 316 abductees, and I mentioned the number because many of the case studies based on five or 10 different abductees, we had 316 in our sample. We found out a disproportionate number of homosexuals. Nothing pejorative about it. But homosexuality isn't something that is readily observable. And so you wonder, why would there be a disproportionate number of homosexuals? And it gave rise to a number of other questions. Mark Rodiger at the Center for UFO Studies said he'd found a disproportionate number of left-handed people. His sample size was relatively small, so it really wasn't that significant. But it got me to thinking, are there other things? What about blood types? What about college education? What about uh, social economic backgrounds? Do these all figure into it? And as far as I know, we we made these comments more than 20 years ago, published a book, The um, Abduction Enigma, more than 20 years ago, and, and laid this out, and suggested that maybe alien abduction should move beyond case study, which is how it's been done forever, to uh, the next level to see if we could do something about it. And that hasn't been done. We're doing the same thing today we did 25 years ago. Uh, the abductee comes in, you put them under hypnotic regression, they tell you a great story, and then you publish your results and everybody goes away happy. Um, I don't really have much to say about MJ-12 because frankly, uh, I think most of the people in the UFO field realize it's a hoax. It's just a question of who did it. Some people believe it was disinformation by the government. I don't think so. I think we know who did it, and I think we know why they did it. Um, the best evidence suggests that Bill Moore and Richard Doty had a hand in that, and the physical evidence from the, the documents themselves suggest that. And I know of very few people that are still acceptive of NJ-12, and I think that's something that we, we need to look at. But it really boils down to sort of a lack of evidence or no, no standard of evidence. You tell the wildest story, and if it's something I want to believe and it fits into my belief structure, by God, I'm on board. I believe what you're telling me. You must be believed. I mean, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard is this guy who claimed that he had fallen asleep in his bed as a teenager, was abducted, spent 20 years 
in some kind of military organization fighting the aliens on Mars, was returned home to his bed 15 minutes after he'd been abducted. So he had this 20 years of experience fighting on Mars and was put back into his bed. So there was absolutely no evidence of anything happening. And yet people believe him. I do not know why. And that kind of leads into the fakers aspect. And these are people who claimed a great military rank or great military exploits, but there's no record to support that. I think of Robert Willingham, for example, to the story of a crashed flying saucer near Del Rio, Texas. The original story was it happened in 1948 and he was an Air Force fighter pilot and he had uh, been alerted to this and chased it down with uh, two other, uh, I think two other jets and there were three UFOs involved in this. They, they landed at Dias Air Force Base, climbed into a uh, private plane and he flew down there and was able to get close enough to see sort of this thing. But when you look at his record, you find out that... that Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Robert Willingham had spent 13 months in the military. He joined the army in December of 1945. So technically he was a veteran of World War II because the war wasn't officially declared over until 1946. So anybody who served prior to that was a veteran of World War II. No evidence he went to the flight schools, no documentation to support this. He uh, got out of the military as an e E4, but he was in the Civil Air Patrol. Civil Air Patrol is a civilian auxiliary of the Air Force. They participate in search and rescue missions and do a, do a bang up job on that. And it's really important that they do that because it saved the taxpayers a lot of money, but it has no um, real official, well, it's an official organization, but it's not part of the military organization. So you don't get retirement points in that like, like that for it. He uh, apparently made Lieutenant Colonel in the Civil Air Patrol and was kind of suggesting that was his, um, his uh, rate rank in the Air Force and that he had been a fighter pilot. I'm going to carry on with this in a, in a minute here because it's uh, I, I want to do some more on, on Willingham because there's some important points to be made here. And then we'll get into some of the other aspects. We're going to have to take a quick break here because I'm flat out running out of time. I will put up some information about all of this sort of stuff on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And the latest book is Encounter in the Desert, which is about the Lonnie Zamora side. And we'll talk a little bit about that later in the program uh, and that sort of thing. So we will come back in just a moment. So stick around. Mm -hmm. 
It's hard to listen to the news without realizing we're living in volatile, unprecedented times. Yet never has there been such an opportunity to transform the human condition. As old structures fail, where can we find the guidance to co-create a better way? Find Your Path Home is an ever-evolving, leading-edge information, education, and healing resource center designed to support and guide you on your path to unity and enlightenment. Based on sound principles employed by Shaman Worldwide, we provide techniques that can support you through the current transitions, offering online shamanic classes, international long-distance shamanic healing sessions, complimentary Mission Evolution radio episodes and Stairway to Heaven TV vignettes, seminars, retreats, and much more. All of this can be found on findyourpathhome.com. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. When we broke away, I was talking about Robert Willingham as one of the fakers, and I wanted to go into something more about this. Uh, You claim to be a a fighter pilot and claim to have retired as a colonel in the Air Force. One of the things that I noticed as a former military pilot myself, once you go through a military flight school, when you go to get an FAA license, we military pilots don't need FAA license because we're flying military aircraft and that sort of thing. But one of the things they do is they say, you know, if you go to the FAA, you take a short test on the regulations and you can get a commercial pilot's license, which I think the majority of us do. There's no reason not to. I bring this up because um, when I was doing the research into Robert Willingham, I discovered he had a private pilot's license. And I'm thinking if he was a rated military aviator, there's absolutely no reason for him to have only a private pilot's license. I mean, I took the test after I got out of the Army. I could have done it when we got out of flight school. If we'd stayed an extra day in in, uh, Alabama, we could have gone to a school and, and taken the test. But we were all ready to go home, so that's what we did. But after I got out of the Army, not long after I got out of the Army, I went and took the test of the FAA, a um, 50-question test on the regulations. There was some guy taking his private pilot's test while I was there in the same room, and he had maps spread out and all kinds of things. He had to plot courses and do all of these things. All I had to do was prove that I understood the, the regulations. Willingham had a private pilot's license, which to me suggested he had not been a military pilot. Other things, of course, broke down when we looked at his background and documentation he presented turned out to be fraudulent. So we have to deal with a lot of that in the in the world of UFOs, people who inflate their military credentials or invent their military credentials. I think it was Bill English claimed to have been a special forces captain and uh, gave Don Schmidt and me some information about a nun, Catholic nun, who had uh, observed the crash at Roswell with the object in the sky. And it turned out that uh, Bill English had not been a special forces captain. He'd been a low-ranking enlisted man in the Army and had not been 
uh, special forces qualified. And so we run into that all the time. And I, one of the things we need to do is look at the backgrounds. I have been surprised that I have not been challenged by my claims of military background, except for one time. And it was right after the book UFO crash, it, no, I'm sorry, uh, UFO casebook came out. And it said on it, uh, US Air Force retired, and I wasn't retired. And somebody had done a, an article about it, they were going to publish and they sent me a copy of it before they did and said, you're too young to be retired. And I thought, well, this guy has missed the boat on two, two points. Number one, had I been in the military and been injured in some fashion, I could have been medically retired at any age. And the second thing was, at the time that was done, I was 38. I joined the Army in, in 1918 when I was 18 years old. So I could have been retired. I wasn't. And I told him it was a mistake made by the publisher who thought when I put down USAFR for US Air Force Reserve, he thought the R meant retired, or yeah, thought the R meant retired, not reserve. So these sort of things happen and they're easily to correct, but nobody challenged me on that ever. Uh, I think Stan Friedman once wanted to know if I had ever served on active duty as an intelligence officer. And the question he wanted to ask is if I'd ever served on extended active duty as an intelligence officer. And of course, the answer is yes. But that kind of leads us into Project Mogul. Uh, and you'll see how this transitions in, in, in a moment. I was searching for something else uh, on balloons in uh, 1947, that sort of thing. And I saw the entry in Wikipedia about Project Mogul and thought, this is really horrifying. Because it, it, it makes all the mistakes that you lead forward, that Project Mogul was highly classified. And the guys in New Mexico didn't know the name of the project. And, and it also leads to something else, and it's something that I don't understand. We look at documentation, and we understand the importance of it. So when we talk about Roswell, the skeptical community say, well, we have this document written by Nathan Twining back in 1947. And in that document, it says lack of crash recovered debris. Well, had Roswell taken place, they would have had crash recovered debris. And the skeptics say, see, this proves there was no crash at Roswell. I can argue against that point because what they were referring to was a specific set of, of, of incidents that had been investigated uh, by the military at the time, and Roswell wasn't among those. So they were referring to that specific group of, of um, um, <clears throat> information. The point is, they, they hold up the documents and this proves it. Yet when it goes the other way, they're not quite so clear. And what I'm talking about is Dr. Albert, uh, yeah, Albert Crary, who was the leader of the New York University Bloom Project in New Mexico, which uh, was part of the Mogul, Mogul operation. But Mogul's purpose was classified, but what they were doing in New Mexico was not. And so when you say Mogul was highly classified, well, that's true, but what they were doing in Mexico was not. And I know this because pictures of Mogul operations appeared in the Alamogordo News and other newspapers around the country on July 10th. And I know this was Project Mogul because A, Charles Moore, who was part of that team there in New Mexico, told me, and he said the picture, one of the pictures on the front page of the Alamogordo News had a stepladder, and he says, yeah, I bought that ladder with Petty's cash. So we have that information. So we know what's going on in New Mexico. We know what Mogul really is. They um, say that the 
debris found on the Brazel Ranch, the Foster Ranch, was from flight number four launched on June 4th, 1947. Dr. Crary kept field notes and had a final written diary that he kept. And what he did uh, was say for the June 4th entry, no flight today. Later, they flew a cluster of balloons with a Sonoboy, a microphone on it. So here we have documentation that flight number four never flew. The regulations under which they operated said they could not fly the mogul arrays, the university constant level balloon arrays, in the dark or in cloudy weather because these arrays were, the first of them were 600 feet long. By the time they got to New Mexico, they were only 400 feet. But it was a huge long array of balloons and stuff tethered together, and it could be a hazard for aerial navigation. So there were, there were rules under which they operated. One was not if, not if in, in the hours of darkness, and one was not if the weather was cloudy. So on uh, June 4th, the entry in Crary's diary says, no flight today because of cloudy weather. Charles Moore, who I mentioned earlier, was there, has suggested, well, we launched the, we launched the uh, flight at 2.30, I think 2.30 in the morning. No, you didn't. The rules didn't allow that. And I don't think you would have gone to New Mexico and immediately violated the rules to get an array up. The diary is quite clear, but the skeptics won't accept it. There's other documentation. We know what a cluster of balloons looks like because that's outlined in the documentation. It's all in the, in the Air Force report, by the way, about Roswell, that big thick thing they did. All this information is there. But the uh, skeptics refused to accept that documentation. The only explanation... Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. That they have for the Roswell crash is Project Mogul. Everything else has apparently been eliminated. Aircraft accidents, experimental rockets from White Sands, all that stuff has been eliminated. So we're, we're, they were stuck with Project Mogul. And, and we know that Project Mogul can't be the answer, yet they won't accept it, which I find, I find extremely weird uh, when, they, when they hold up other documentation as being so important. And I don't understand why they, why they would uh, re- reject that documentation. Um, 
And the other thing is, and I, and I hesitate to say it because the man died a number of years ago, but Charles Moore was not exactly um, correct when he suggested that uh, they launched a balloon in the dark and it came within 17 miles of the Brazel Ranch. Well, 17 miles didn't put it on the Brazel Ranch. There was nothing in the uh, a rogue, mogul array that was classified. So there was no reason for the Herculean effort to collect everything. And in fact, if you look at the documentation in the New York University Balloon Project, you find out that some of the balloons were never recovered. They left them in the field. They were so unimportant. So you have to wonder about that. Then you have to wonder how Jesse Marcel could be fooled by what in essence is weather balloons. And that's really what they were. A lot of weather balloons strung together. And you might think that Mac Brazel would be fooled because he's a rancher, but he said in a newspaper article that I think was published on July 9th, um, Roswell Daily Record, that he'd found weather balloons on two other occasions, and this was nothing like those, but had it been mogul, it had been exactly like that. So we have all of that working to suggest that uh, Project Mogul is not the proper answer, but there are those who just embrace it. The one thing I should make clear, however, the fact that we have no terrestrial explanation at the moment for what fell on the Brazel Ranch, the Foster Ranch, doesn't mean there isn't one. It just means we haven't found it. And it doesn't mean we get immediately to the extraterrestrial. I myself look at some of the interviews I've conducted. Edwin Easley comes to mind. He was the provost marshal, the top cock who, who, cop who told me that basically I asked him, are we following the right path? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, we think it was extraterrestrial. And he said, well, that, let me put it this way. It's not the wrong path. So we have some testimony that suggests that. And Easley had no reason to say that if it wasn't true. He, unlike some of the people who wanted to embrace the Roswell crash and get their 15 minutes in fame, Easley wasn't, wasn't like that. So we have some testimony that suggests otherwise. I guess the real point here is we have to take a look at the documentation. We have to look at the provenance of the documentation, which is one of the problems with MJ-12. We have to look at the source, and if that person would have been in a position to know what was going on, as opposed to somebody at a lower level who may not have heard something about that or was not in a position to know about it. Anyway, I'm gonna take another break here because frankly, I need a drink. But uh, when we come back, I'm gonna talk a little bit about Blue Book, Project Blue Book and what they um, did and how they operated. My website, my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And if you get a chance, take a look at XZB, xzbn.net, which is the X-Zone Broadcast Network uh, for some of the other fine programs. We will be back right after this. Shamanic Art School proudly presents the Gathering of Shaman 2019 Fall Retreat, Manifestation Samhain. Join me, Certified Shamanic Instructor Gwilda Wiecka, in the magnificent Colorado Mountains this November 2nd and 3rd for a life-changing event. Participate in unique teachings and ceremonies that will put the power and magic of shamanic manifestation into your hands. Sit in circle with like-minded individuals, sharing group energy and the power it generates. 
classes will be held in a facility next to the beautiful, majestic Arkansas River, further empowering the experience. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today. For more information, visit findyourpathhome.com or email touchin at findyourpathhome.com. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, The X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. I have been doing somewhat of a reflection of the UFO field, my, some of my impressions of it, I guess. Strangely enough, I'm on time. I'm on schedule. I didn't do as much with the fakers as I wanted to do, but you know, that's, I've done stuff on the blog, and you can take a look at that there uh, and see what I've said about some of those people. In this uh, segment, I thought I'd talk a little bit about Project Blue Book, which was the official study of UFOs conducted by the Air Force for some 22 years. Blue Book or Project Sign, it was it was known when it began. The, the official name was Project Sign. The public name was Project Saucer for some bizarre reason. But it began in a, pup, in a panic in the summer of 1947 when the uh, UFOs, the flying saucers, sort of burst on the scene with Kenneth Arnold sighting on June 24th. The military didn't know what it was, didn't know what was going on, wondered if it was something that uh, the Soviets had developed using their German scientists, Certainly wasn't anything that we developed using our German scientists. Uh, wondered if it might uh, suggest something else was going on. So there was a near panic in the Pentagon, at least according to what Ed Ruppelt would say in his book, uh, report, the report on unidentified flying objects, which he, which he wrote in 1956. But it ended with a whimper. 
Um, Project Sign evolved into Project Grudge. My understanding was the name had been compromised, so they changed the name, but they announced that Sign was over. They had finished the investigation. Here's our final report. All they did was change the name to Grudge and continue on. And later they changed the name Project Grudge to Project Blue Book. And I don't know why they did that, but they did announce that Project Grudge had ended and they were done with UFOs, but they continued with uh, Project Blue Book. As an aside, I will just mention that even after Project Blue Book uh, closed, we learned of a project known as Moondust, which had a UFO component to it, a flying saucer component to it. So they still weren't really out of the business. It was just more hidden, I guess would be the best word. So we had it beginning in a panic, but in 1948, they did what was called an, an estimate of the situation. And that's a, an intelligence term when you've got a lot of data and you put it together and you estimate what's, estimate what's going on and decide what's going to do. And they concluded at the end of this that uh, the situation was flying saucers and the, uh, the estimate was they were interplanetary. They weren't thinking in terms of interstellar at the time. Uh, the chief of staff of the Air Force didn't like it. He said, no, you didn't prove your case. And every, almost everybody assigned to Project Sign at the time uh, left, except for a couple of the low-key, lowest-ranking members. And anybody in the military knows when the commanding general says, no, I don't like that. Uh, you pretty well don't like it either. So they stopped really looking at flying saucers, uh, UFOs. They began treating it as, as a joke. You know, the idea was uh, put a label on it and move it into a file or discard it or ignore it uh, is what they were doing. So we ended up with uh, a project that for a period of time was virtually dead. Then it was revitalized when Rupelt came in as the chief of Blue Book. He was replaced by a guy who was extremely anti-UFO. And that's sort of the way it continued from that point. But what, what, we, what we know is that uh, many of the investigations they conducted would have led them to other conclusions had they actually worked at it. And I'll, I'll, I'll mention some of these a little bit later. But what they would do is they would get involved in arguments with Don Kehoe, who was the chairman of NICAP, which was a civilian organization advocating for congressional hearings on flying saucers. And they would argue about minutiae, overlooking the fact nobody's investigating the case. They're busy arguing about who knows much the most and who knows what's going on. So they uh, weren't really conducting on-site investigations. Something else that was not really considered is originally it was Air Force Regulation 200-2. I think later it became Air Force Regulation 87-17. Both had the same clause in it, however, that if you had a legitimate, legitimate answer for a sighting, then the local people investigating and whomever it was are authorized to release that information to the, pub, to the press, to the public. If, on the other hand, you didn't know what it was, the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Was you were not authorized to make any uh, releases to the public, but you would direct all questions to the Secretary of the Air Force Office of Information for... Uh, 
more information. So if it if they knew what it was, they would tell you. If they didn't know what it was, they would bury it. And and that's pretty much what they did. But there was also at least a decade-long effort, and probably longer, decade and a half, to get rid of Project Blue Book. After uh, Ruppelt left and after uh, around 1955 and that era, you see in the administrative files of Project Blue Book all these letters saying, well, we don't like the prestige that the Blue Book has because it's in the Air Intelligence Air and Technical Intelligence Center. It should be moved to a different organization like the Office of Information, which would be much less prestigious. Uh, we're wasting money on these investigations. Nothing's going to be learned. Um, what can we do? You know, all these things going on. Well, in 1966, there was a series of sightings in Michigan, which were quite interesting, by the way. It's the Great Swamp Gas fiasco. And the uh, congressman for that uh, area of Michigan was Gerald Ford. So he pushed for congressional investigations, which he eventually got. I think it was a one-day affair. But the point was they, they, they looked at it, but it also inspired the Air Force to do something else. They began looking for a university who would study the UFO, study the flying saucers. I guess they went to a number of universities before they settled on, or the, or, or the University of Colorado agreed to uh, do the investigation. Edward Condon, who was a, a well-respected scientist, agreed to do it, and they gave him $500,000 to investigate UFOs in the, in the late 1960s. Um, it's been known now as the Condon Committee, as opposed to the scientific study of uh, UFOs. But the problem is there was a letter sent by a fellow named Robert Hippler. He was a lieutenant colonel in the science, one of the science offices of the Air Force. And he wrote them and said, here's what we'd like you to do. We'd like you to look at some of this information. We'd like you to determine that the Air Force has done a good job of investigating. We'd like you to determine that there is no threat to national security because that really is the mission of the Air Force to protect national security. And we'd like you to recommend that um, we end the UFO investigation. Condon Kennedy wrote back and said, yeah, we can do that. And there you go. It was set up from the very beginning. We still hear about the Condon Committee even after all these years, but it was a setup. It was designed specifically to end the investigation, at least publicly, so people would think that the scientific community, along with the Air Force, had gotten together and studied this thing seriously and determined there was nothing to be done. My favorite case from that study was one that took, around, took place near uh, Newfoundland, Greenland. And they determined that it was a natural phenomenon so rare, it had never been seen before or since. I'm thinking, well, you've just described an alien visitation, if you want. But even if it was a natural phenomenon, that suggests there's something of scientific value that can be learned by studying these things. And if you look at the, the totality of the UFO field, there are lots of things that you could learn by studying it, depending on how you design your study. Doesn't necessarily have to deal with the extraterrestrial, it might have to do with human psychology, human physiology, human perceptions, all these things come into play. And yet uh, they determined there was nothing of value that could be learned. And so they said, uh, that, that was their conclusion at the end of the investigation, what the Air Force wanted. One of the interesting things, Condon was in Corning, New York. He was uh, talking to a group of scientists there. And he said to them, and it's reported in the newspapers from the time, you can, you can find it online. Uh, and by the way, the Hippler letter and all this stuff is, is on my blog as well. Type Hippler letter or Hippler in there and you, you can get to it easily. 
he told the scientists in Corning, he says, you know, I'm uh, ready to write the conclusions now and conclude there's really nothing to this, but I'm not supposed to find that out for another 18 months. Now, I understand when you do scientific research, because I've done some myself, that sometimes you have preconceived notions, and oftentimes that's why you set up a double-blind experiment. So the person conducting this experiment doesn't know what you're looking for, so he can't or she can't influence the direction these things go. But uh, this was nothing like this. This was the scientists. They knew what they were supposed to do, and they went out and did it and uh, announced that there was nothing to the flying saucers. They could end the whole thing. And I think they did a, did a fine job of it right up until 1973 when uh, the whole thing blew up in a, a wave of sightings in, in October of, of that year. But the point is, there were there are many, many good cases in project the Project Blue Book files that if you look at them in depth, you find that the uh, investigation was little more than a telephone call to somebody or an exception of Philip uh, acceptance of Philip Class's ridiculous ionization of the atmosphere theory that he put out in the mid 1960s. Um, that the, the, the gas, the ionization pockets of, of plasma in the atmosphere would tend to glow. And that was what people were seeing. And he was roundly criticized immediately by atmospheric scientists and physicists as no, that's not what happens and that doesn't work. And if it was, we'd have lots more sightings all around. But the point, the point simply is the Air Force didn't do a good job from the early 1950s, from 1953 on to the very end of really looking at these cases, and you go in and you study the cases carefully, you can see where the mistakes were made. You can see what was going wrong. And in the next segment, I'm going to talk about some of those cases because they're important cases. And had they been investigated properly at the time, we might all be having a different conversation now about UFOs and flying saucers. We might be willing to embrace the idea that they're extraterrestrial as opposed to still arguing about that possibility and people saying no. Once again, I'll have more about this at my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and uh, some of my books will deal with the uh, UFO sightings that I'm going to talk about in the very next segment. So we're going to take a quick break and we will be back right after this. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. 
They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. <laughs> We have reached the final segment of A Different Perspective. I thought in this last one, I would talk about the best of Blue Book. Now, remember, these are not necessarily cases that Blue Book decided were unidentified and suggestive of anything other than a natural phenomenon. But they're cases when you look at them in depth, uh, they suggest something much, much more than, than what uh, Blue Book did with them. You know, first of all, I think I'll talk about the Lubbock Lights. This was a case that took place in 1951, a series of... Uh, Lights seen over the, the town of Lubbock, Texas, first spotted by four, uh, I would say university professors, but at the time it was Texas Tech College. It later became Texas Tech University. I saw the lights, these lights go overhead, didn't know what they were and talked about it. And he said, well, if they come back, here's what we should do. So they made a series of observations when the lights flew over again, uh, called the newspaper, alerted them to it. It was published in the newspaper. And from that point, there were a number of sightings. Now, one of the things that happened is uh, a fellow outside the city limits of Lubbock, saw the lights a couple of times, and he was puzzled by them as well until one came down near his house, and he heard it make a noise and discovered it was light reflecting off the white breasts of the plover, which is a bird indigenous to that area. Now, uh, toward the end of August, a guy named Carl Hart Jr. took pictures, had five pictures of the lights as they flew over his house, I've actually been to the location where his house was, and I mention that only because it's now a pizza hut. I don't know why that's important. But he took five pictures. Only four of them exist in today's world. We don't know what happened to the fifth. Showed the lights in a V-shaped formation, more or less a V-shaped formation flying together. Well, Plover 
rarely are seen in groups larger than seven and never fly in a B a V formation. So that was not what he photographed. Attempts to photograph birds by professional photographers, including the photographer for the Avalanche Journal, which is the Lubbock paper, failed. He couldn't do it. So Hart took some pictures which are unidentified. There's really, they don't have an, they haven't been able to explain what they were. And yet the Air Force wrote the whole case off as birds. That's it. That's over. In the mid-1990s, I was in Lubbock to talk, uh, to, to do research on a different case. Well, it was a Roswell case, actually. And I, on a lark, picked up the phone book and looked up Carl Hart, and he was in the phone book. So I called him. It was the right guy. He's now in his 60s at the, at the time I talked to him. We had a nice chat about that. <clears throat> and the one thing you, you must know about UFO photographs is 99% of them were taken by teenage boys. 99% of those are fake. And usually after years, the, the fellow who took the pictures admits that it's a hoax. And in some of the great UFO pictures of the, the 60s, for example, are now admitted hoaxes. So I talked to Hart about that, and I got his story, and he told me what uh, he'd seen and how he'd done it and all the trials and tribulations of going through um, the investigation. And I said, well, what did you photograph? He says, I don't know. Didn't say it was a flying saucer. Didn't cop to it being some kind of a hoax. Said, I don't know. So we have the Lubbock case, and I think if the Air Force had spent... Well, the Air Force did did investigate it very carefully, but they decided it was birds, and I think that was after Rupert left uh, Blue Book, and they were looking for explanations of anything. And so um, it's labeled birds, but there really is no explanation for it. And a more legitimate investigation or, or uh, explanation would be that it's unidentified. Doesn't mean it's alien, doesn't mean it's extraterrestrial, just means we cannot explain these sightings. I've mentioned these before, the Leveland, Texas sightings, and I alluded to them earlier. A series of sightings in Leveland, Texas on November 2nd into the November 3rd, 1957. People from several locations around Leveland, which is but uh, 15 minutes, west of Lubbock, I think, 15, 20 minutes west of Lubbock, um, called the police, called the sheriff's department, didn't uh, have an explanation for it, were frightened by it. Object coming down close to the ground, a couple of cases said it was landed, stalled the car engines, dimmed the headlights, filled the radios with um, static and that sort of thing. But witnesses in 13 separate locations around the level land area around the Lubbock area reported these things. And that, that was who reported them. Um, that doesn't include the sheriff, his deputies, a couple police officers and a fire marshal. And the Air Force file will tell you that they didn't get close to the object. They just saw a red streak in the distance. But family members and people who knew the sheriff said, no, they got much closer. And that he reported an object uh, not a streak of light, but an object. I have found newspaper clippings from that time before the Air Force asked him not to talk about it that uh, the the sheriff is uh, reported as saying that the object the object was oval shaped and uh, he got fairly close to it. So there is contemporary documentation that he saw more than was reported by the Air Force. The point is, the Air Force, got into an argument with Don Kehoe. Kehoe said there were nine witnesses. 
The Air Force said there were only three. And if the Air Force didn't interview anybody, the, the witness didn't exist. Both of them were wrong. If you look at the evidence, and, and, and some of it drawn out of the Project Blue Book files, there were witnesses at 13 separate locations. Now, if we weren't so busy arguing about the minutiae of the case, how many witnesses were they? What did they see? Was it landed? Did it, was it a streak of light in the distance? If they had actually gone out and investigated it, they would have gathered some interesting information. Now, years later, and I, and I admit this is really kind of tenuous, but years later, um, Don Burlinson was investigating this case, because Leveland's not all that far from Roswell, by the way. And he talked to the sheriff's daughter and said that they had found a, a landing trace, a burned area on one of the ranches just a little bit north of Leveland. Now think what would happen if, if A, that's true, and, and it's secondhand testimony and it's gathered 50 years later, so you, you can take that with a grain of salt. But think what would have happened if you had all this evidence of the, of the UFO interacting with the environment, law enforcement involved, and a landing trace. Think of what uh, you might have been able to make out of that, and that changes the direction of the investigation, and that changes the direction of the research. Um, so that was a good case that was in the Air Force files, but they wrote it off as ball lightning. In 1957, physicists were arguing about the reality of ball lightning, and yet the Air Force is using it as an explanation. The other thing is ball lightning is very, very rare, rarely, is it any larger than 18 inches in diameter? And it's very short-lived. And in a couple of the cases, they, the, the object was on the ground. Ball lightning, of course, can roll along the ground. On the ground, close to the witness, and they estimated the size literally you know, 50, 60, 100 feet, not inches. And it does not, ball lightning does not persist for five minutes, as one of the witnesses said. So their explanation was bogus. It should have been labeled unidentified. Take the Socorro uh, case from New Mexico in April of 1964. Now, that was the subject of my book, um, Encounter in the Desert, which began because of this radio program. I had Ben Moss and Tony Angiola on there, and they made a statement on the program that witnesses, three witnesses, had seen, had called the police station prior to Lonnie Zamora seeing the craft and the alien creatures. And I asked him a number of times during the show, did you check the police logs? Did you check the police logs? And they never gave me an answer for that. So I got to looking into it and I discovered that no, it's not in the police logs, but Richard Holder, who was an army captain and he was assigned to the White Sands Missile Range and he lived in Socorro. On the night of the event, he, he wrote a quick report that he transmitted to the Pentagon and they, the transcript is in the um, Project Blue Book file. And he said in that, that, Three people had called the police station prior to Zamora reporting that he had seen anything prior to it. So we have documentation from that time, yet that was never followed up on. Nobody went out to try to find these people. Socorro was a small town, much smaller than it is today. You knew the path of the object based on what Zamora said. You could have found the witnesses, and that would have made the case much stronger. So the Air Force, the Air Force to their credit, labeled the case unidentified. But there's a lot of controversy surrounding it, the, the symbol on the craft, for example, and um, the military telling Zora not to talk about it. Well, they actually, I think um, Holder suggested he not mention the symbol 
so that if other Peter people reported the object, he could talk about, they could, they could eliminate them by the symbol. And the FBI agent, Arthur Burns, suggested they not mention the little men because that would hold him up to ridicule. So it was another fine case. One of the very few in the Project Blue Book files labeled unidentified where the people saw an object or saw saw occupants uh, with associated with the with the sighting. I had one other I was going to talk about uh, the Portage County chase, which was the beginning of uh, close encounters of the third kind. The police officers chasing the objects across um, Ohio and Pennsylvania. But I'm I'm out of time. I can't get to it, which is too bad because that's a very good case and a very interesting case. So we've uh, we looked at a number of things today, talking about why I dislike the UFO field or beginning to dislike the UFO. We talked about Project Mogul, we've talked about Project Blue Book, and we've talked about some interesting cases that deserved better than they got by the Air Force and the civilian investigators who looked into them. And as I say, you know, um, I've done books about this. You look at my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and I, I've explored many of these things on the blog as well. So, you know, that's all well and good. Now, in the coming weeks, uh, we'll be doing more, well, not of this, but more more programs. Next week, I hope to have Mike Rogers on. He will be talking about the Travis Walton case. He was one of the people with Walton when he was abducted. We'll get his perspective on that and talk about another sighting he had He during the Phoenix Lights of 1997. And in the weeks to come, I hope to have Travis Walton on the uh, program and some other people who have some interesting takes on the UFO field. So we will be doing all that. If you have questions, append them to, or just send them to me uh, on the, my blog and I will read them on the air if we get a chance to do that. So next week, Mike Rogers, it's been nice chatting with you, and uh, I'll be back in 167 hours with another edition of A Different Perspective. How would your life change if you could develop the business and personal skills that you need in order to make more money? Do you want to learn how to achieve your big life goals faster? Then go to findhiddenmoney.com and get the Goal For It online course. The course teaches you how you can set and achieve your biggest goals while completely overcoming the roadblocks to your goals so that you can realize your dreams and imagine more success. Go to findhiddenmoney.com. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hides can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? Have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. 
Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit NumberOneFear.com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking.